welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. All right, welcome to part one of this week's Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher, and I have a very special guest today. She's a dear friend of mine. Her name is Samantha Graham, who is the host of Aligned Mind Weekly, which is a podcast about thought work and wellness, and one that I tune into every week and thoroughly enjoy. So Sam, you are my very first guest on this show. So welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Chris. It's an honor to be on the podcast and the first guest on your podcast. Uh, I think we've talked about this. It's been a long time coming for both of us creating it. And it's it's amazing to be in this space and doing this at the same time and being able to collaborate. Um, I call it, just to, to circle back, I call it thought work and uh, mindset management for the most part, although it does uh, lend to wellness. So I think your description was pretty accurate. Thought work and mindset management. Perfect. Uh, but yes, it has been a long time coming. Uh, we've been friends for a couple of years now. We met through Twitter and we sort of had separate but similar aspirations to do a podcast. And our, uh, our ideas kind of ran parallel to each other. Yours being thought work and mindset management and mine being more centered around mental health. Now, the cool thing is both of these concepts kind of intertwine and lend themselves to each other quite well, I think. Um, I want to tie in what you've been doing and what I've been doing and sort of merge it with this this pandemic that I see we've we've found ourselves in. <laughs> uh, I know no one is really talking about it, so I thought I'd blaze some trail here and address the pandemic. But we'll uh, we'll break some new ground. So I, I want to talk about thought work and mindset management in the context of as we're we're coming out of this pandemic, you know, we we just hit the one year mark and it's it's unbelievable that it's been a year already. I feel like time I feel I feel like we've just been wading through tar. We all seem to be existing in this in this fog. And and one term that I've heard used to describe that feeling is pandemic fatigue. Now what what is that? And how how are we suffering from it? And are we are we are we coming out of this okay? I absolutely think to some degree the vast majority of us are suffering from what we kind of understand to be pandemic fatigue. And I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think we've been emotionally taxed over the last year in terms of the uncertainty and especially those few first few initial months of uncertainty and and just the the level of stress that that caused a lot of people. Um, I, I personally believe it's absolutely uh, appropriate to call that trauma. Um, we didn't know what we were up against, but what we knew, especially watching Asia go through it, watching Europe go through it ahead of us here in North America, was that it was scary. It was killing people and it had the potential to get really out of control. Um, and what we didn't know was how to get it under control. We didn't have that message coming to us from the people we typically look to for, for that information simply because they didn't know. I mean, pandemics are rare. This is unprecedented. So we didn't we didn't have a government that could turn to us and say, it's okay, we have a plan. And, and if you're in Canada, you saw our prime minister on a daily basis who was sort of soothing and somewhat reassuring, but didn't really have action steps. And so that lends to a lot of discomfort. Uh, human beings, as we know, don't always manage very well with uncertainty, especially when death can be on the other side as a consequence. So I think that's where it started, right? I think it was months and months and months of, you know, how bad could this get? Could this kill someone that I know? 
could this kill me? Um, and then people started becoming the people who were saying, this has killed someone I know, or this came close to killing me. Uh, so so the level of emotional uh, strife and the, the emotional trauma that we go through with that. But we also had so many other restrictions placed on us. We were told we had to stay home. For some of us, we haven't seen the inside of an office, which was our sort of day-to-day routine, many of us for decades. Um, We haven't seen our workplaces, our colleagues. Um, We haven't done business the way we used to do business for a year. I personally have not set foot in my office since March the 11th of last year, which means I also haven't been on a subway. I live in the city of Toronto, for those who don't know. And I have not been on our major mode of transportation since the 11th of March either. Um, Life changed really fast. And we had so many questions and our heads were spinning. We didn't know what to do. And then the restrictions came. And then they continued. And then they continued. And we noticed we were giving up a lot of things that we were starting to really miss. Time with our friends, our loved ones. Uh, How many people have said, I wish I could go to a concert. I just want to go hear some live music. Um, Big and small things, right? So, And we're human beings. And I think as adults, we can rationalize that for the greater good, we can give up a concert. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to do it, especially when it drags on. And I think one of the hardest parts for me, and I know for people that I've talked to, was when we went into this, there was talk that this would probably be over by June. I remember talking to coworkers who thought we would be back in the office by the summer. We're now coming up on that one-year mark, like I said, and we're still nowhere closer to getting back to the office. We don't know if we'll be back in our office this summer. So it was having somewhat mismanaged expectations as far as guessing, and then having to realize that those restrictions plus the fears were all going to sort of stick with us. And and we went through many, many seasons, and we lost out on family time at Thanksgivings and Christmases and birthdays and a bunch of other events. So I think we're just tired. I think we are tired of being scared. I think we are tired of not knowing what comes next. And I think we're we're sort of tired of the monotony too. Have you ever had a day where you're bored and you feel more exhausted than on a day you're busy? I feel like that's setting in for a lot of people as well. The coping that we've had to do has been constant and exhausting, uh, especially with people who have to move from an office to now work from home. Uh, parents who've had to homeschool their children or set them up to be schooled from home uh, virtually. Uh, the are drastic changes to our social lives and, and trying to live our normal lives like anyway in a completely abnormal way. I don't know that many of us have actually been able to take the time and really cope with all of this or to fully process what kind of like disruption this has been for us. I, I think that we all feel on some level like a real sense of fatigue. The things that we used to sort of take for granted, like hugs and handshakes and concerts, those things that sort of felt trivial at the time, I, I think when you add them all up as, as they've been, they've had to be set aside for the time being, have really affected our, our overall mental state, uh, especially with the uncertainty and, and not knowing when this is truly going to end, like you said. I think we're, we're grasping at straws for some semblance of hope. And it's become very difficult to maintain reasonable expectations or, or have any expect expectations at all, which is something that you've mentioned before on one of your episodes, actually. So where do you think we can put our expectations moving forward, moving out of this as we as we seem to be, I think, coming coming out of this? 
So I feel like managed expectations uh, is something that I've strived for most of my adult life. I know that I would rather, and I think we use the phrase in the field that I work in, uh, in my Monday to Friday, nine to five, which is you want to uh, under uh, under promise and over deliver. And and the reason is the psychology behind that, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're going to get out of this in two months and then find out it's going to be six more months because it just... It, it does something to us psychologically. So I think we need the messaging coming from above, the people who are sort of so to speak, in charge, so to speak. We need them to be honest with us and we need them to give messaging that doesn't get votes, that doesn't just keep people happy if it's not feasible or, or, or practical to attain those goals. So... I think for people on the day-to-day, hearing the message and then tempering it with the understanding that things change quickly, we don't know some things that we're still up against in terms of the overall efficacy of the vaccine, which is the big thing that's going to ultimately dictate how soon we kind of effectively get out of this. Um, So there's still some question marks, and I think that that can help temper our expectations. And it's nice to think that potentially by summer, we could be back to something that looks like our new normal, at least. Um, but I, I think we need to be realistic that there's there's a lot of unknowns, and that those can change um, the trajectory of the ability to say that we're reaching herd immunity, or that we're in a position to to be safe. And without knowing that, we should be optimistic but pragmatic at the same time. That's a great way of putting that because I think we do need a reason to be hopeful, but we, we need to be hopeful in a responsible way. The, the lack of, of real highs and the depths of the lows over the past year have really taken a toll on our mental health. I don't think there's any question about that. The messaging from our, our health officials and, and politicians has been, has been mixed and, and always seems to be evolving. And on that note, I'd like to say that I think it's important to, to a point, empathize with these people because this this is basically all of our first planet-wide pandemic. And although the best minds in science and medicine and social behavior have been educated and trained, I think once you're actually in it and making these these kinds of life-altering decisions on the fly, it's, it's important to remember that these are still human beings tasked with with caring for the lives of millions of other human beings. Like, it can't be an easy job. The, the scope and the impact is almost incomprehensible. And I, I, I think while some criticism and, and questioning is, is warranted, I mean, we're, we're all in this together. I don't think anyone wants anyone else to get sick and die. And I think we all are, like in our hearts of hearts, I think we are trying to work together. Now, something that I've noticed over the last 12 months is the range of emotions that have really seeded themselves in our social fabric. Initially, there was, there was fear, and then a lot of anger and frustration followed, which, which I feel was not like an extension and, and a presentation of that fear. And then the, the divisiveness started, and people began to question things that we just didn't really question before. I mean... Moving forward, we, we need to have a sense of oneness and a real sense of community for any of this to work. And, and one of the most frustrating aspects of the pandemic is that we haven't had a chance to do that in person. We, we don't get that social interaction. 
There, there's been a marked increase in reported cases of depression and anxiety during the last 12 months, and it's incredibly worrisome. How, Sam, like, how do we navigate that distance and that loneliness? Is that, like, is that something you've experienced personally? And, and what can we do to kind of help overcome that moving forward? Absolutely. Uh, in terms of, uh, on a very personal level, uh, this has been an absolutely unprecedented year for me. Um, I live alone. I was in a relationship until the end of May of 2020. And uh, we went our separate ways. So I was spending the vast majority of of the pandemic alone, um, for safety reasons, you know, really wanting to keep distance from most people and and be really careful about visits with family and friends, um, especially when we were being given the advice uh, from our provincial or federal governments to to refrain from doing that during, um, you know, more tight lockdowns. So I I think I would estimate it as about 90% of the time uh, spent alone from for a year. If we'll, if we'll say that. And, um, you know, I'll go ahead and, and, and speak on it here as well. I also dealt with a death in the family. I lost my mom to cancer on April 27th of 2020. So, I mean, when we talk about the stress of those first couple of weeks and all of the unknowns and all of the uncertainties and kind of everything that was coming at us, not only in terms of the virus, which we were still trying to understand, there was economic impacts that we were Feeling immediately, the markets took a nosedive for a bit, although thankfully rebounded. But but there was a lot of uncertainty there. A lot of small businesses and and, and other companies were directly impacted. People lost jobs almost immediately. And then there's been sort of uh, a trickle over effect over the last 12 months for some people, unfortunately. For me, I was lucky, lucky to maintain my job. I was lucky to be able to stay home. But I also found out within 24 hours of the pandemic being declared that my mother had cancer. So it was a couple of weeks where everything felt completely chaotic and then nothing felt real. And trying to do that, you know, relatively alone, because again, I don't know, um, in, in terms of being around, you know, your instinct is, of course, to want to be around a sick relative, and, and in my case, especially my mother, uh, and, and to support my father as well. But but also hearing messaging that they're vulnerable and and with her illness, excessively vulnerable. So having to keep distance from her as well. So it was the isolation, but also the segregation from people that I kind of needed to be with uh, emotionally. And and I wasn't able to do that. So absolutely isolation has had an impact on me just in terms of, you know, you, you, you notice it. There's, there's no way to really say that it hasn't to some degree. And I've been doing my best and I and I did have to sort of sit down, especially going into the winter months and try to determine what could I do to make sure that I was making the best of a bad deal. Uh, the bad deal being a year of grief on top of a pandemic, on top of isolation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was really leaning on my resources, which are lucky for me. I've got a great group of core friends um, who, while I can't spend as much time with them as I would like to, uh, connecting to them as much as possible through text, through the phone. 
um, you know, making sure that I take advantage of the services that are out there. And I have a therapist and I'm, I'm utilizing that on a weekly basis. I was going twice a week for a couple of months just to really make sure that I was doing okay because I hit the wall in October. I mean, you talk about mental health all the time, Chris, and that sometimes it gets to the point where you're like, I'm not okay. And, and I need to take a step back and really just sort of accept that I'm not and focus on this. And, and that was where I ended up in October of 2020 was just, I need some time to take a step back and focus on what's going on in my head and what's going on with me and the rest of the world by way of my job and things like that. We're going to have to wait. I was lucky that I had a company that supported that, but it was, it was a difficult year through, through and through ups and downs, definitely harder days, um, some were harder than others. Uh, some months were harder than others. Uh, but I think it was making sure that I was aware of who did I have around me, getting in contact with those people, making sure that they knew that I needed the support, leaning into the support that was available to me, using therapy because it was there, really trying to get outside, just take care of myself a lot and and kind of keeping the eye on the prize, if you will, that this will not last forever. I don't know when it's going to be over. I don't know when life goes back to normal. I don't know if life ever goes back to normal, but I know it won't always feel like this. And so on some of the hardest days, it's recognizing that as hard as this is and hard as the emotions can feel at times, it's temporary. And then I'll just finish this point by saying that discovering and really digging into thought work in the last year, which thought work and, and sort of emotion management go hand in hand. I think that's been a, a really critical component um, because it's given me a perspective that I didn't have 12 months ago. And I, and I think it's definitely made a huge difference. Wow. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you being so candid and sharing some of the things that you've been through personally. Thank you for that. I think, I think your resilience is, is incredibly inspiring if I'm being honest and how you've been able to, to have that introspection to sit and deal with a lot of these emotions and feelings. I, I think that's tremendously impressive. Um, the, the practice of looking inward and really knowing yourself and what you're feeling, that's, that's something that I've struggled with myself, quite honestly. Um, if I could be candid myself, like I, I lost my grandfather and, and my job uh, back in November and I hit my proverbial wall in December, right around Christmas. And it, it served as a catalyst for me. It was a real wake up call. Uh, it was quite scary that I wasn't able to, or, or didn't pick up on the, on the depressive signs sooner because I just, I sort of had my head down and I was plowing through like, like I, I think many of us have been, uh, we, we weren't able to you know, we weren't able to have a proper funeral for him. And, and basically by the time Christmas rolled around, a lot of those effects that I'd been feeling had compounded. And I can, I can look back now and think, boy, I wish I'd checked in with myself sooner. And I wish I'd had those conversations with myself sooner because before I knew it, you know, when Christmas came and, and I knew that I wouldn't be, wouldn't be seeing my family and these other things had happened with, with pandemic and everything else. I real, you know, like I, I hadn't actually sat with and coped with and, and dealt with any of these feelings. I, I found myself in a really, like a really dark place and it scared me and it, it shocked me how easily and relatively unnoticed I, I slipped there. You know, I, I was, 
I was able to use some resources. I, I started therapy again uh, as well, which which I've continued since then because I, I don't want to go down that road again. Like you said, we we still don't know when this is truly going to end or what that may even look like. So it's it's become like a maintenance thing. I, I tried the, the head down, push through method, and that did not work. And that's why I encourage people to be proactive and, and have these dialogues with yourself. And if you're in a place where you can look back and sort of see like a pattern forming, it's it's time to reach out. It's time to be proactive. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up and I'm glad that you were able to use the resources available to you because those are tough conversations to have with yourself. They're not easy, but they're so important. And as hard as they are, they're honestly never as hard as we, we kind of make them up in our minds. And, and that's a theme with the work that you do with Align Mind. You, you have a way of simplifying and communicating beautifully. This, this perspective of understanding yourself that, that I really appreciate personally, and, and, and I'm, a, I'm a fan of you as a person, but also a fan of your podcast and your commitment to, to teaching others sort of a new way to process and, and understand thoughts and emotions. So, so in, in your words, Sam, like, can you explain a little bit about what Align Mind does and how thought work and mindset management really works? Yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you for the endorsement. Honestly, Aligned Mind was born out of my discovery that there was a missing piece in terms of a lot of the work that I had been doing both for my own mental health and then subsequently the grief uh, that I've experienced in the last couple of years. Um, you know, my mother being s- sort of the tidal wave that I didn't see coming uh, in April of last year, as I mentioned, but also losing my grandfather the year prior, uh, February of 2019, and 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 recognizing that that special relationship was now gone from my life, and and I have no longer have living grandparents, and not sure if I'd ever really dealt with it. I mean, this lovely man lived to be in his 90s; he had a great life, uh, and and we can look back and think that that's a, a blessed thing that he had the opportunity to be with us for 93 years, but it still hurts, right? So. I have been, you know, going through that as many of us will in in terms of grief in our life and 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 also a lifelong um challenges related to generalized anxiety disorder uh recently diagnosed with uh ADHD not knowing that for this many years that I've likely had ADHD my entire life uh, uh they can't say definitively because I wasn't diagnosed as a child but it's highly likely if you have it as an adult uh the onset was childhood you know and it's interesting because you're you're running up against a lot of different things and you're trying out a lot of different things and I've done traditional medicines I've tried holistic approaches with diet with supplementation and all of those things have had good results but I still knew something was missing and when I discovered thought work, which really for me, the best way to describe thought work, it's it's the process or the practice of observing our thoughts by recognizing that circumstances don't cause our emotions. And many of us believe that they do. X happens. We have an emotional reaction to it. And, and the sort of direct correlation is back to the circumstance. But in actuality, my belief, my theory is that it's our thoughts about those circumstances that are creating our emotions. 
And that gives us back a certain element of power because if we can examine those thoughts, the things that we believe when it comes to the circumstances that happen to us in our life, many of which we don't have a lot of control over on a day-to-day basis, but if we recognize that the way we think and then subsequently the new ways that we might potentially be able to think can ultimately change the way we feel, We also recognize that it changes our ability to respond. So I differentiate between react, which is your emotion, respond is what you do with it. That's that action that follows it. So if your reaction is anger, your response is to yell, Um, but but changing the behavior, changing the action. um, And sometimes that's the immediate uh, response from from the emotion, but sometimes it's what you go out and do uh, in the world as a result of some of your unmanaged emotions. All of those things, being able to get all of that better managed, that is going to have a huge influence over your results. And we're all looking for better results in our lives. I say at the beginning of my podcast that if you're feeling a little bit stuck, I think thought work is the tool. I think that it's the way to say, I can't figure out how to fix this because I've been trying to change my circumstances or I've been trying to understand why the circumstances are causing the emotions. But if you go back to the thoughts and work on those, work on the beliefs, those sometimes lifelong limiting beliefs that you adopted in childhood or adopted when you were a teenager or through experiences in your your earlier life, I think you have the opportunity to change your life in ways you don't recognize without having to have a whole lot of control or influence over your immediate circumstances. But it also gives you the opportunity to then make better choice about changing your circumstances. You're no longer pushing things out of your life simply because you can't handle them. You're making choices from a place where it's well thought out and you now know this isn't helpful for me as opposed to this makes me feel things I don't like feeling. I don't want to feel those things. Let's get rid of it. As a new psychology student myself, I just started my studies in November. Um, I'm fascinated by the different techniques and the different tools, uh, which is an analogy I love. Um, I use that in my mental health talks as well. But the tools at our disposal that we can use to better understand you know, the complexity of this human psyche that exists within us, I think once we realize that we do have some control over our reactions and our reactions to those reactions, it can really help to empower us when we're faced with adversity and different situations that challenge our mental health. Things that we can control, and in regards to this pandemic, a a lot of the things that we can't control as well, which I I think is very frustrating and invokes a little bit of fear as well, because we're we're at the mercy of forces that that extend beyond our personal scope, things that are affected by a biological entity, and then political and and social behaviors as well it's it's so important to maintain control over how we respond and adapt to those different pressures to keep to keep ourselves focused and and calm and ready to meet the next challenge that that could be upon us at any time so that being said that that brings us to the end of part one so we are going to continue on with part two with samantha graham from an aligned mind so stay tuned for that